Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. A podcast that's motorcycle parachuting off a mountain at this very moment! <laughs> oh, it's a pop. <laughs> Welcome to Sip Pop Weekly, streaming live. Most Fridays are available to download later in your podcast feed, unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Woo! I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he's not my chauffeur. He's my co-host. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. Not used to accept it. Ahoy! Each week, we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. He ate three boxes of Cracker Jacks, got a dog whistle, and a map of the original 13 colonies. He also saw a coyote get run over by a 14-wheeler that left him flat as a pancake. It's John Paula, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hello, hello. Glad to be back in the asteroid you, city where the cast is big and the scripts are witty. <laughs> Very nice. Take me down to the asteroid city. Why, is, why was that not sampled? Come on, GNR, get together with Wes. It's a match <laughs> made a, in some kookamamie heaven. That's yes. a weird owl bit if I've ever heard one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let's get on yeah, that. Yeah, no Integrate doubt. It, yes. Tie in, soundtrack, weird, I do it. Let's go. I'm sure Asteroid City has popped through the, the cultural, uh, you know, uh, relevance enough yeah. to that, uh, that, that Weird Al is itching to do a parody uh, involving Probably. it. <laughs> Um, well, it is exciting to be uh, here to talk Asteroid City and no other movies. Uh, there's no other movie <laughs> that came out this week that anybody wants to hear us talk about. Uh, oh, other than maybe Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, uh, which we will discuss. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've, we've also got a best ever Part 1s that we will get to, movies that were intentionally Part 1 of multiple movies. Um, and then, of course, we'll do some Buried Treasure as well. Uh, no reason... Well, I guess... There is one reason we would wait to get into it, which is to anybody want to do a little catch up on the summer sum game with John here hanging out with us in about uh, halfway into the summer. So not yes. a bad idea. I I don't <laughs> feel terrible about my picks, but I will be the first to admit deeply underestimated the staying power of Spider Verse, which is the number one movie of the summer and still climbing. Yeah, I had it's gonna be it, number one. It's I had it at number one. six, Aaron, you had it third, and Andrew, you had it second. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely, I had it pegged at 235 million. I think it's already up over 350. Yep. And again, and still doing really well. I think it's still in the top 10 weeks a week. Um, I had Little Mermaid first. That I think is probably going to settle in third or fourth. 
Uh, it, it did do well, but not, not as well as I think I had predicted. And then yeah. the, big, the big miss I think we all shared was The Flash. Might not even finish in the top ten. That is just such a big... It might. I mean, it really might not, guys. I mean, like, I don't think it's... so. I, th- I think tr- Transformers is going to do better. I think Barbie is already tracking to open around where, um, you know, I, I predict. I, I think you need to get at least 120 to break the top 10. And I think Flash is going to peter out at like 110, 115. It's, it has like nothing left in the tank and it's only yeah. at like 108. I only had now. it at seventh. Um, yeah, so... I, had it, I had it at eighth. And Andrew, you had it at fourth. And I think all of those picks are were in April respectable choices. At the time, we all thought Michael Keaton, Batman. When has Batman ever not made money at the box office? Yeah, it, it was now. This was then. <laughs> there's a couple. There's a couple things to watch. Um, number one, uh, Elemental looked like it wasn't going to be a player mm-hmm. uh, on its first weekend. People were calling it a flop. All those kind of things, and it has like really good legs. It's picking yeah. up money, so it might end up in the uh, the top ten, uh, depending on some unknowns. Of, for instance, Dead Reckoning, Oppenheimer, Barbie. Barbie is, I mean, I think we, it, that was another it, movie we we all had in the lower half of our. I had it uh, ten. Aaron, you had it ninth. Andrew, you had it seventh. And I think it'll be in there. It'll be in like the the back half. You think it'll it go higher? Not, it, it would not surprise me if it is broken through in a way where everybody just wants to go see this movie a couple times. I, uh, I would be so, so delighted. To be very wrong in in the other way, right? I was I overpredicted on Flash hugely. It's gonna earn like a third of what I predicted. I would be so delighted if Barbie, you know, just outgrossed everybody's predictions because it looks totally, like man. a totally fun, unique, subversive time that we don't get good parody movies they're, like this anymore. They're saying it could make a hundred on its opening weekend. That's crazy. Yeah, me. that's that's insane. that's more than Indiana Jones. That's more than Elemental. That's been more than The Flash. That's more than I think Spider Verse made in its opening weekend. It's that's that, that would be huge to put up yeah. triple digits in yeah. three days. Well, we'll see. We'll see next week. So, yep. So yeah, currently Spider Man at one, Guardians at two. Those pretty much have the the one and two uh, locked down from everything that's come out so far. Uh, again, uh, Mission Impossible is a big wild card. Uh, Little Mermaid at number three, performing really well, continues to perform well. Uh, Transformers at number four, it will not stay there, I don't think. What is that total at now? Because that I think one forty six. So there's yeah, nothing that's... above one fifty um, in the top three right now. So Mission Impossible will make one fifty. Barbie Easy. looks like it'll make one fifty. Like yeah, yep. it's 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 going to be an interesting of, of the movies that have yet to release. Uh... Ninja Turtles, Blue Beetle, Haunted Mansion, Meg 2. Do you guys have any uh, revisions on those predictions? Do you think no. any of those have Dude, a chance? None of to... those are going to do anything. Do not forget Equalizer 3. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you forget? It, it has my, 48 my, hours to sneak in if my, it opens to $150 million on September 3rd. It can get it. My ace up the sleeve. That's is right. equalized. That's that, op- that opens Labor Day weekend and the cutoff is Labor Day Monday, right? Yeah. So if yeah. Equalizer's <laughs> opening weekend is just absolutely gigantic. Yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe, maybe it'll do is- like Jurassic World numbers. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, I got this in the bag, even though I'm not I'm not in last place. I'm not in last place. Or should I say chat <laughs> GPT's not in last place? Yeah, yeah. That's right. right. That's right. Uh all right. Well, that's a nice little check-in. Uh I do believe. 
The plan is uh, early uh, on in September, after it is closed, to have you and Alice back to uh, have a a look see at how it all went down. A, a post mortem, uh, so, if you will. Yeah, a little bit of a post mortem reveal, <laughs> the winner kind of thing. Uh, I, all right, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Pencil me in for sure. All right, we'll do. Uh, okay, let's uh, head into our first review. Let's talk a little bit about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team embark on their most dangerous mission yet to track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity before it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake and dark forces from Ethan's past closing in, a deadly race around the globe begins. Uh, This is the seventh Mission Impossible movie. Uh, They are all beloved in their own way, he says. Trying to make Mission Impossible 2 feel a little bit better about itself. Uh, and uh, So many doves. It, is, it has become one of those go-to franchises. They're just talking to a friend who's not necessarily like a, a, you know, a movie freak like we are, but enjoys the occasional film. And he said mm-hmm. Mission Impossible is his only guaranteed movie when there's one out. He's just like, if, if there's a Mission Impossible movie, I just trust that it's going to be amazing. And I think there is some of that uh, in people's consciousness after six of these things and now seven. Um, this is the first part of a two-parter, which seems to be a theme for the year. Uh, what did you guys think about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Uh, John, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just Okay. I am on the low side of loved it. Low side of loved it for John Andrew. I am going to be that f- super fun person in the in the discussion where I am the person who likes the movie, but <laughs> I'm going to come across as the person I know. Everybody's going to say that I hate this new movie, but no, I like this movie. Right. Maybe high side of like this movie. High okay. side of liked it. It's his worst movie of the year because yeah. I loved it. Solid loved yeah. it. Um, yeah. I think I will start with the obvious, which is these movies understand action set pieces. And when I say that, what I specifically mean is they understand it's about more than just numbing the audience through big moments. It's about more than just big explosions and um, lots of bullets and that kind of stuff. It needs to service a plot point and a character progression through actual physical uh, set pieces. Yes. And I I totally agree that all of the action here services the plot and the characters in a way and it moves things forward. It isn't just glitz, glam, and bullets and explosions for the sake of glitz, glam's bullets and explosions. When I... Totally, 100% agree with all that. It was awesome. And and not just that, but the set pieces are also uh, designed in a way to be kind of mini movies in and of themselves, right? So, like, each of the set pieces have their own stakes, their own purposes, their own goals. They have little checkpoints within them. Uh, literally, one of them feels like a series of escape rooms. Like, th- they have these, you know, this idea of uh, being able to 
just kind of own the audience, right? Like there's there's a way where you're just like, oh, now how do they solve this problem? Okay, how do they solve this problem? How is this going to happen? Oh, can you believe that just happened? Um, and the movie just does that so well that by the time you think to take a breath, you're in the credits and you're like, how did two and a half hours just go by? Like it just, it feels amazing in that way. And, um, and I just, I was locked in uh, to this movie through uh, those set pieces. And I'd say there's three, maybe four. Uh, kind of major set pieces in this. And the other interesting thing that I was talking about with the person that I I went and saw this movie with is that they aren't like unique situations necessarily. They are situations we have seen in several other other action movies. How many times have we seen a car chase? There's a car chase, you know? We've seen Tom Cruise fight on top of a train in this franchise before. (laughs) Right. And it still felt fresh and new and the way they photographed it, it's just like, I, we saw this just a week ago with Indiana Jones, a fight on top of a train. Yes. Going in and out of tunnels, dodging objects that may or may not permanently scar the antagonist's face <laughs> for 25 years, right? It, it, it was so refreshing to see that same thing done in, in what may very well be the best permutation ever committed to film. I think the back 30 minutes of Dead Reckoning are, are some of the best Certainly the best train-related action since mm-hmm. Back to the Future 3, um, and certainly the best in, in the Mission Impossible franchise or anything else we've seen recently. It was, it was so good for all the reasons you, you mentioned. And it, it, it knows how to take established tropes and, and conceits, but then do them in a way that feels fresh. Or if it isn't fresh, it's at least executed to its pinnacle. It, it's, it's honed in on why is, why is this good and how do we execute it in a way that hasn't been sort of refined or optimized quite like this before. Right. Uh, Andrew, uh, I know you hated this movie, but uh, yeah. do you have anything good to say <laughs> about this movie that you only liked? Uh, Tom Cruise was born in 1962. <laughs> it's, it is true. It is true. <laughs> that is wild. Uh, I, I, you want to hear that put in perspective? When Roger Moore, I'll take credit from Dan Murrell on YouTube for pointing this out. Roger Moore aged out of the James Bond role in A View to a Kill when he was 55. Tom filmed this when he was 58. And yeah. he looks like hear- he could do he looks like he could do it for another 5 movies. I like I kid you not. Like this guy is as better than he's ever been and he's older than John Voight was in the original movie in That's 1996. That's what I was about to say. He's older than John Voight. Yeah. And you go back and you watch that Brian De Palma one and like John Voight looks like no offense, he looks kind of old and busted. Tom Cruise in this movie older looks like yes, I would dependably and and without question believe this man can jump a bike off a cliff and then paraglide to freedom. Like I totally buy it. There's yeah. nothing in that where I'm, whereas in Indiana Jones a week ago, it's like, I don't know, this is, is 80? Okay, I don't know, guys. This is a little fishy. <laughs> this the movie, I, there's Impossible. none of that. There's none, none of that ageism even factors into Tom's performance because it's just like, I buy it. Because he the is Mission doing The Mission Impossible it. franchise has this very unique way of marketing their movies. Instead of with trailers, you know, or anything like that, it's a lot of word of mouth, like, have you heard Tom Cruise is going to do this new wild stunt in the movie? That's genius marketing. You they don't have to show a, a lot of the movie. You just get word of mouth out there. You show, you know, you show like the lead up to the stunt and stuff, and you talk about how dangerous it is. That's brilliant marketing right there. They yeah. showed a bunch of, and I tried to avoid as many as I could, but a lot of the promotion for this film was behind the scenes featurettes. 
Mm-hmm. It was like, you're not going to yeah. believe how long it took us to build this ramp on this Norwegian cliffside during the middle of COVID. And some of those featurettes, which I've gone back and watched since the movie came out uh, this week, are, are incredible. Like, I, it's the amount of work that went into producing some of these stunts is arguably more impressive than the finished product. When you realize how many iterations and how many computer models and how many simulated uh, jumps they did, how many actual skydives Tom did to prepare for this. Something like he did, I think, 10,000 motorcycle jumps, over 500 skydives, and they practiced the actual one on location like a dozen times with drones and helicopters and, and you know, uh, motion-tracked gimbal cameras and stuff. And it all results in a moment in the movie that lasts, I think, like eight seconds. He's actually airborne on screen for like, that's it. It's a blink and you miss it almost kind of sequence. And I wish they could have found a way to just give us more of it from more angles. But obviously it's, you know, the, the actual free fall does not last that long. Uh, that yeah. I think is my biggest gripe is as awesome as that centerpiece was, the moment with the Burj Khalifa in the fourth movie was like a 10 minute sequence where you're just white knuckle for the entire thing. This was white knuckle, but it was like, oh, okay, I guess it's over now. It was... He jumps, he falls, he opens the chute, and then it's, you're kind of done with it. And, yeah, in a three-hour movie, the best part was, like, just this little, I wanted so much more of that big stunt. And it's not the movie's fault or the stunt's fault, but that's just me being selfish. I just want so much more of Tom being Tom. (laughs) And and I feel like if they go too far that direction, then you detract from the movie, right? Because then you're just, then you're living in something that makes the movie feel distracting because it's aware of what it's doing. You know, there there becomes almost a fourth wall break there. You get the situation with like Fast and Furious 6 where that endless runway, it's like, how long is this plane going to not take off? Like you kind of, there's a, a, a middle ground where you have to not suspend disbelief, but also maybe give the stunt a little bit more... Legs. I don't. I don't know how to even describe what I'm describing. If it's even a complaint, but just I loved so much of that, and it was just so brief, and it was like ooh. Or you get that that thing where they show the exact same explosion five different times from five five angles, and it's like okay, I get what you're doing here, but you just completely took me out of the reality of the movie. That is the opposite of what a one take does, right? This is the opposite (laughs) of the beauty of what a oneer can do is immerse you. It is like anti-immersion when you do stuff like that. Um, There's there's a sequence at the end of Mission Impossible 2 where Tom flies off his motorcycle and and he pops a a reverse wheelie, right, where mm -hmm. he's on the front wheel and he spins around in slow motion and he pulls the gun sort of opposite to the way his bike is spinning and in John Woo fashion Tom spinning clockwise the camera spinning around him counterclockwise and then John Woo edits that same move from three different camera angles three times in succession and it's kind of like wait did he do it three times or are they just <laughs> showing different angles like a like a like mythbusters it, experiment they're right. just here's the here's it again here's it again instant right. replay and it's it definitely it's a it's a a very like John Woo esque moment that like in the mid two thousands was like yeah that's cool today that's like whoa okay that was a little weird I, well I I'm not taking away from the artistry of doing things like yeah, that like right. I think you can use those kind of things intentionally to create an emotion create an experience whatever the case may be I just think you have to balance that with the fact that at the end of the day you're telling a story and one thing that this movie mm-hmm. never forgets is that it's telling a story it continues that propulsion forward and so the reason we don't get you know, 10 minutes of him falling is because that's not what that was about. It was about the moment leading up to that. And it's about the moment where it ends, which I thought was really hilarious as, as well. 
So like there's there's a there's a real understanding I think that this movie has of propulsion and the idea of keeping the audience uh, in the moment and headed forward um, rather than living too much in the moment. So yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit my, about my other favorite part uh, about this movie, which is I think every other film that simultaneously – I felt this way about Way of Water too – that simultaneously shoots a couple movies together because they want to you know, do a two-parter should pay attention to how this movie handles uh, being part one of a two-parter um, because this movie has, does the magic trick perfectly – of yes. feeling like you have things set up that are, have not been paid off, that will be paid off in another movie, but those aren't the things the movie is investing you in in this movie. It's investing you in specific other things in this movie that have resolutions in this movie. It sets up a the mission, because that's one of the beautiful things about this series is it revolves around, imagine this, a mission – but it sets up the mission of this movie as the the thing that is being resolved. And so, you know, it it I felt like when I got to the end that I had seen a complete full movie and yet had some curiosity and interest in what comes next, but I felt satisfied that I that I understood the story I was being told and I understood what it meant to the characters and what it meant to me. Um and that's not always done well uh even no that that is um i i agree with you often on this show aaron but I, that was something i specifically called out in the review i wrote on this um movie yesterday was that unlike all the other and we've got a lot of these part ones in the last we got dune a couple years ago and then spider verse and fast x just in the last couple months mm -hmm. and none of those even though i enjoyed all of them immensely none of them had a good ending in my opinion they just kind of and we're finished see you in two years this movie gave you catharsis to the emotional arcs. It wrapped up like the, the central MacGuffin of this movie. And I think ironically, this was the only movie of those four that actually explicitly said, this is a part one. Keep right. your expectations in check. You are not going to see the end of this story. Whereas Dune, and I know Aaron, you've mentioned this many times, Dune did not even hint that it was gonna be, we thought maybe it would be a second part. It was, oops, sorry, you gotta wait. I think Fast X had some of that in its marketing, like the beginning of the final ride. Mm. And I think we also knew going into Across the Spider-Verse that there would be beyond the Spider-Verse in a couple years. But and those, were when it, when those were originally called part one and part two. But they all of them took mm -hmm. those off of the mastheads. And right. I think that was a mistake. Because when the audience doesn't know they're going to be uh, sort of teased without a, a, an ending, I think that can make people grumpy and upset. Like, wait a minute. The, so the do, the dam explodes and then Dom and his kid are just sitting here? Like, what? Like, that's such a terrible way to end a movie. But if you explicitly called out, this is just Fast X Part 1. It's still a terrible it, way I, to end a movie. I, I think it's still terrible, but it's a little bit more able to be forgiven, in my opinion. And Dead Reckoning did both. It, it not only hung the lampshade on what its expectations were. Hey, don't get too invested. We will do another one of these in 2024. But it also had the cleanest and I think most satisfying sort of uh, halfway ending. I think most of what was resolved was what was important and what we were emotionally invested in for these two and a half hours. And the little breadcrumbs and stuff that they left for the next movie, it's like, okay, good. I can't wait to see what comes next. But we're not left in the lurch without any resolution at all, well, it's, which would have been, I think, frustrating. They, 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 what they kind of did is, with their MacGuffin, is they separated out the what and the why. 
in this movie was about the the what. In the next movie right. is going to be about the why. And I think it works. I think you know think because the, the what was resolved in this movie. It was it came to a conclusion. The the goal about the MacGuffin came to a conclusion, but we still don't know the why. And so that can be kind of the driving force of resolution for the next movie and then keep the same MacGuffin. Like, I think that's, that's really uh, an interesting way to kind of go about it. So, yeah. Totally agree. Um, other thoughts, uh, any kind of thoughts, feel free. Say whatever you want to say. Haley Atwell is awesome. I love her. She was such a good addition. I am a bit disappointed that her inclusion kind of comes at the expense of sidelining an older character that I think was kind of a fan favorite. Um, but she is so good, and I think she bounces off Tom, uh, especially in the Rome car chase scene, so very well. There's a there's a palpable sort of frenemy chemistry between them, and it's witty, and her alliances are a little bit up in the air and a little bit cloudy. And I, I love that they play off each other so well. She's capable, but not totally like committed or tuned in to what's going on. And so that makes her a really compelling sidekick where like, okay, I know that she can handle herself physically, but it seems like mentally or intellectually, she doesn't really know what's happening. And she's kind of figuring this out as they go. And I kind of love that as the audience surrogate, we're right there with her, constantly like a bit behind the eight ball. Like, wait, who are we chasing and why? And she's sort of right along with us with those same questions. And I, Yeah, and she's I our surrogate. That. She's a little bit of an audience surrogate. Um, very, uh, a lot of night and day vibes. I don't know if you remember that, yeah. that movie, but I, it kind of felt like that kind of team up, uh, which was also Tom Cruise. And um, an- another parallel I wanted to draw was um, Tomorrow Never Dies. There's a scene where Michelle Yeoh and Pierce Brosnan have to ride a bike while handcuffed. So they have to yes. like ride the bike went with Michelle in Pierce's lap mm-hmm. because it's the only way they can both drive without their own wrists getting in the way. And there's a scene where, where Haley kind of has to get and mount and get kind of reverse there's, get off. There's of a surprise Thomas. in that in that scene that was the biggest laugh of my showing. Um, and it just, it's a cut in the middle, middle of that to reveal something that has happened and the place just lost it. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's really well done. Yeah. Great, great sequence. And she was, uh, I think a really good addition to this, this franchise. I am excited to see how that relationship and how that character develops, uh, down the road. Cause there's a lot of potential there, but I love that they, they don't make her OP. They don't make her like this, just uh, all-powerful, all-knowing super spy. She's kind of somewhat skilled, but she's still out of her depth and needs help. And I think that makes her an interesting foil for Tom because he basically is OP. There's nothing he can't do. <laughs> right, right. Andrew, some thoughts? I want to talk about why I don't love this movie just real quick. <laughs> sure. I, to, to be fair, I'm I'm with you on that. There are a lot of things I don't like. So what do you got? Yeah. Uh, the villain in this movie, Isai Morales, like he's giving a good performance. Don't get me wrong. I think he, and he has a presence to him that is like really ominous, but I don't understand his motivation. I thousand, like, I was going to say the word motivation was the big red flag for me. Like, wait, who's working for what? And why do they even care? And doesn't this hurt them if they go through? And exactly. I, the whole time I was kind of like, so it's just AI and AI is evil because, because it was, Skynet. I don't know, I, it was that, that was the one, the big thing for me. Like, I don't know, this feels, eh. Which, here, it, in my opinion, it's a great concept for a villain. It really is. But you need a physical presence to have something to combat. So whenever 
and you can't have a giant robot walking around. That would ruin the entire movie. That'd be horrible. Um, yeah, it's not gonna, we're not going to have uh, James Spader as Ultron just swoop yeah, exactly. in on the train at the end of the movie. I also think that we need to leave the door open that things may not be as they seem. Uh, yeah, yeah, well. and, I, and I think that's a, a great point is as well as this was as a self-contained movie, I am excited and interested and hopeful that that, that the Gabriel character receives more, uh, yeah. I don't know, pathos in the next installment where yeah. his backstory makes sense. His motivations kind of lock into what we want them to be. But in a franchise that gave us Solomon Lane and John Lark and whomever film Philip Seymour Hoffman played in the third one, like great, great cinematic villains, this mm-hmm. one was like, uh, eh, I don't really care. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, they try and shoehorn in at the beginning of this some sort of, you know, long lost uh, uh, friction between him and Ethan. And that felt it, totally, I, I didn't, eh. Like, why? You don't need that. It doesn't add anything at all. And I was also it, a touch confused because it felt like they were referencing moments from the first movie. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think this guy was in the 96 original, but yeah, maybe he was and I forget. It, it kind of looked like they were trying to show clips from from the 96 one. And I was like, I don't remember I'm, this guy, but maybe gonna, he was there. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I thought I had just forgotten him. I thought he was right. in the movie. I, I right. literally, no, he, I, I literally came out thinking, Oh, I totally forgot that, uh, that that guy was in that movie. <laughs> no, they just shoehorned in. They de-aged him and everything for <laughs> fill in the blank. I, also, maybe they should have had Emilio Estevez come back and be like, with you know, missing missing an eyeball. Just be like, Ethan, you left me for dead in Prague, and I got killed there, in the elevator shaft, but I'm still alive. And there is a character that comes know? back from the first movie that I am pumped is back in. Uh, that's the, not, yeah, the that's series. not a spoiler to say, right? Henry Curzon, uh, uh, who played uh, who plays uh, Kitridge, yeah. who was the yeah. uh, director of the CIA in the first movie, or. Director of the one of the one of the acronyms, right? Uh, he was in this, and not only is he in this movie, um, Kidridge is in this a lot actually, and he has some good like beefy one-on-one scenes with Tom Cruise that I was like, yes, I love this contentious. It's sort of like a father-son so dynamic. Yeah, there's like Kidridge is only a couple years older than Tom Cruise, but there's definitely like this like dad, I'm not going to do what you tell me, and it's like, well, you better be back when I tell you. I love their sort of father-son dynamic where there's like, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a long leash because I trust you'll come back. But at the same time, everything you're doing, I don't want to know about it. It's it's sort of off radar. I, it's it's not sanctioned, but I it's they trust each other, but like not really. Um, I loved his character in this way more than I think he was in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also love the technology in this movie. I love some of the things it's doing um, with the idea of... Uh, uh, visual replacement, security visual replacement. Uh, some of that stuff was really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and the idea of, you know, how impossible it is to escape technology. So, like, if technology is the villain, how do you escape that villain? It's almost impossible. Um, I thought those things Yeah, there's, there's that great really well. scene of dialogue where Rebecca Ferguson is like, well, we tracked it down. And, and then Tom Cruise is like, well, what was your handler? Who told you this? How did he tell you? From a text message? And then, like, yeah. you know, the, the entire audience is like, oh, shoot. Everything we know could be based on a lie. And it, it is a like a, a game-changing, you know, get the wind knocked out of you kind of uh, revelation that perhaps everything we thought we believed about this franchise could all be a lie. And I, yeah. I love that that underpins all of the drama in this movie. It's all potentially just a setup to frame the IMF crew. Mm-hmm. And get them yeah. get them in a spot where they're overexposed. 
my last thing that is keeping me from loving this movie is there are two characters in this, uh, played by Shea Wiggum and Greg Tarzan Davis. They're the the operatives that are trying to stop them, you know? The yeah, term. these pursuing agents yeah. that are just like always a step behind. They're in the background of every scene. Yeah, I don't understand the purpose for those people. Because we've seen in how many Mission Impossible movies are we up to now? Is this seven? This is seven, yeah. Okay. So we've seen in seven movies, every single movie, one branch of the government is like, nope, we got to take care of Ethan Hunt. And, you know, it's like, how have you not learned by this point? And did did at any moment in the movie they feel like a threat to Ethan Hunt? No, it is frustrating I, that, I don't that think nobody has a role. memory. I don't think their role is to feel like a threat. I, in fact, I think it's exactly the opposite. I think I think they represent a character that we see sometimes in these kinds of movies that is another type of audience surrogate where it's like they are outside of what's going on, but they also have a little bit of power and they are figuring things out with us. Like, you know, they, they have a transference of allegiance that's going on. Like that's their evolution. Um, and I think that's evident in some of the things that happen uh, towards the end. Um, I actually kind of liked those characters, but I I thought they they were also uh, nice levity as well. I thought some of the things they they did added. Um, I some I, fun. I enjoyed their inclusion, but in a movie that also had uh, Palm Clementoff and Vanessa Kirby and um, whoever Vanessa Kirby's like brother or that other guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of like ancillary characters that I think with a tighter script could have. Com- been combined into one or two characters. I don't think we needed like two separate wordless assassins following Tom. I think we could have just had Gabriel and one I thought other Shea, guy. We, I thought Shay had some good lines. Am I wrong? I don't think he was no, wordless. No, Shay did, but did we need Pom, uh, Pom Clementoff and uh, uh, Vanessa Curry's character? Davis. I mean, Pom was a oh. crucial part of the plot. I, I don't know. I, like- I, I, I agree that they weren't uh, that they were crucial, but I feel like there's just a lot of characters. Sure. Where in a tighter script, that might have been one or two people that share a, those scenes kind of get punk combined, okay. and those character moments get combined. I can into see one. what you're saying. I don't know that I agree, but I can see what you what you guys are saying. About and that. again, it's I'm not. With I, I'm, I'm with Aaron. I'm, I love the Palm character actually. Yeah. I liked her too, and I, and I really appreciated her arc throughout the course of the movie. But when you also have two female sidekicks and you have these two CIA guys trying to track them down and two villains and the AI and just the, the general danger of jumping off cliffs. It's like, is there too many things trying to kill Tom Cruise in this movie? Nope. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and gravity. Can't forget gravity. That's right. Gravity is always <clears throat> trying to kill Tom Cruise. But I mean, I'm, I'm mostly splitting hairs. Uh, I think for me, this ranks in, in the middle of the seven picture franchise. Um, but yeah. when the other three above it are so, so good. I, I do want to qualify that, like, being fourth best is a very good movie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've heard people saying that this is their favorite Mission Impossible. Good for you. Nothing compares to Fallout for me. Is it really Fallout for you, Aaron, your the, favorite? Yeah, I think it's Aaron's better than Fallout. Aaron's raising his hand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 I was more <laughs> in this from beginning to end than I was with Fallout. Now, I, I will say, I will say... We are never unaware of how environment can impact our experiences. And mm-hmm. I was in a good place when I saw this. Uh, I had... Um, you were drunk. I, I Yes, I was smashed out of my mind. Uh, no, I, I had... I did not expect to be seeing it. I got an email about a press screening where I was 
Uh, I don't usually get to go to press screenings because they don't have them here where I live. And since I was visiting somewhere else, uh, they were like, hey, yeah, come to the press screening and bring someone. And so I had like, you know, a great friend with me who I don't usually get to watch movies with. Uh, we both had a great time. So like, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, I understand that my experience is impacted by the surrounding context. So that might be part of it. But um, it, it'll take another watch or two uh, before I can maybe clear eyed well, say it. But I had I, I, I was in it for this one. I appreciate the context and the honesty uh, and totally agree that the the environment and the experience of the moment can really color your your perception of a film, at least plus or minus a point or two. For me, this was a, a fantastic film, one of my favorites of the year, but Fallout is perhaps the best action movie of the decade, or at least last decade. So for me, it doesn't quite reach the heights of that helicopter chase with Henry Cavill at the end. Like that was just on another level. And this gets close in a few points, but I think at two hours and 45 minutes, there's a huge chunk in the middle where I'm like, I don't know who's fighting for what or why, and I, I want to get to the dirt bike. Can you show me the dirt bike? I, I know that's coming up. Just get to that. And then when it, <laughs> then when it did, I was like, I'm back. I'm thousand. I want this. And then the last half an hour of the movie was incredible. But I am possibly the only one on planet Earth that did not know that moment was coming. Um, it, it's mm. wild how much of the marketing apparently it's in like uh like oh, when it's, I, it's everywhere when i was putting together the art all of the art is about it and like i had i had no idea i am i am so surprised gonna... you missed i i went no trailers as well for this but i still saw glimpses of it everywhere i knew there was a right. bike and a cliff i didn't i assumed you would jump off and, and okay that's exactly what happened i go but, cruise um, blind man if i see cruise on anything i'm just like i'm not paying attention so yeah uh, yeah i i i commend your ability to avoid what was just one of the biggest prints and advertising blitzes of the last 10 years. It was I, I everywhere. Said before, I, yeah. like, I have gone through a transition that I think has really helped, which is I've gone from, oh, I, I really want to watch trailers, but I'm not going to watch them because I know it's a better experience when I don't watch them. I'm not going to watch them. So I'll force myself not to watch oh, I kind of want to watch it. No, 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 no. I'm not going to watch it. And after a couple years of realizing how much better movies were without watching the marketing material, it started to transform into... A genuine not wanting to. Like, I don't have to fight myself anymore. I genuinely don't want to see them. Yeah, um, no, I still close my eyes when I when I sit down early. It's like, I don't yeah. want to see this. I don't want to see this. <laughs> so. La, 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 oh, la, in la, fact, la. I will mention this is one of my negatives about the movie. Quit spoiling the movie in the opening credits. I literally closed, I, I, I literally closed my eyes during the opening credits. Very, I know they have. I know they have. Machine. I close my eyes during the opening credits. I'm like, I shouldn't have to do that during the movie. Um, I, okay. I did that too. And I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to. I was kind of like literally like a horror movie. I was like looking through fingers like I don't. And I was, I'm just going to vibe out to Lauren Balfe's score, which again was awesome. <sighs> it's so good. I listened, I listened to all 39 tracks yesterday. He is such a good composer. And he mixes all these like really heavy, moody drums, and it just it gets you pumped. For some of those sequences, it's like, yes, let's I, bring it. I had a lot of cognitive dissonance this time that I haven't really felt before in the other ones during the the opening uh, you know, spots where they show stuff, where part of me was like, Oh, I don't want to see because I want to see it, you know, when it happens in the movie. And the other part of me was like, no, no, the director did this as yes. part of the movie and the experience. They are purposefully using these visual images as they intended. A marketing team didn't do this. 
a director yeah. did this. So like yeah, I, I kind of half watched. <laughs> so like I have this cognitive dissonance thing going where I'm like, I don't, should I? I don't want to watch. Uh, and I close my eyes, but I'm, I from, may watch. From what I could tell, though. they were just glimpse. It was like a side of a gun or the side of an explosion. It's yeah. like, okay, I don't really know what these are in context, but you can see Hallie Atwell's face. And if you had gone into this movie truly blind, it's like, wait, who's she? Right. I knew she was in the movie, but I think if you had really gone in blind, the credits can spoil a film. That's but that's all. That's always been true because I'll be watching a movie and be, ooh, John Don Baker's in this. Like I will, sure, I will, sure. I will call out names and be like, oh, I'm expecting, you know, uh, Anthony, uh, you know, Philip Baker Hall to show up at some yeah. point. Like sometimes just reading the credits can kind of spoil things. And it's reading's the problem. We should never yeah, read anything. Go in, go in, literally blind. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's wrap it up, guys. Uh, one last thing from either of you before we uh, move on. It's a Mission Impossible movie, so no post-credit scene. That is true. That is true. I did wonder with this one, since it was a purposeful part one, but nope. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anything else, John? Uh, there was a, there's a quote at the beginning of the movie where uh, Shea, Shea Whit- Whitman, is that the guy's name? Wiggum. Uh, Wiggum. Wiggum, where he describes Ethan Hunt as a mind-reading, shape-shifting <laughs> incarnation of chaos. And I was like, you're god dang right. And that is my man. you didn't that guy in the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a great – that was such like a – that was such like a pump up the audience. Like the audience knows who Ethan Hunt is. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah. just as a reminder, this guy is an incarnation of chaos. And he is yeah. going to just wreak havoc for the next three hours. And that was a great way – because I think we get that scene before we see Ethan. I think that might be right before – because he comes yeah. into the movie kind of late. He's like 20 minutes go by before we even see Ethan. Um, and, I, and I kind of appreciated that was our introduction or reintroduction to, uh, to the super spy. Uh, my one last thing is uh, God bless Carrie Elwes. Uh, it's always, always good to see Carrie show He's up great. And, He's show all, up he, he, does, he does what? Like maybe three, uh-huh. three pages of lines in this movie. And he's so good. Oh, I have to, I have to mention Ving and, and Simon as well. I, I know they're in all of them. Um, I am continu- oh, yeah. I am continually struck. I shouldn't say all of them. They're, they're in most, the most recent ones. Um, I am continually struck by Simon Pegg's addition to this cast because he offers this uh, empathy that a lot of the other characters don't have because they're kind of robotic. And so some uh, like there is a uh, puzzle in this movie that he is responsible for solving, let's just say. And it's emotional. I got emotional. I literally yeah. got emotional during that. That is not a scene you would usually get emotional in, but I just think he sells it so well. And he's such a, like a ray of actual humanity amongst, uh, mm-hmm. you know, assassin robots, uh, that I think it works really, really well. I don't think you could overstate his importance to the chemistry of this, uh, this I, I 100% agree. He's, he's like what Paul Walker was to the fast franchise. And, and, and I feel like you need that sort of balance to Tom Cruise's robotic, over-the-top enthusiasm. You need someone that's more grounded and emotional mm-hmm. and, and, and more uh, feminine, for lack of a better word. Someone who's more sort of in touch with, like, what's going on at a human level. Mm-hmm. And uh, that scene in particular was great. There's a scene later where he's arguing with Ethan in the car. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you can feel, like, the him rot over. Like, ah, I don't want to tell him to do this, but, like, uh, just keep driving. You're fine. It's good. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I love this Benji character. He is... Such a good addition to the show. Yeah. Well, what makes the tension in these movies work so well is the characters, uh, like who they are as individuals that makes it so tense because you have Ethan, who is a character who will sacrifice his life for anybody on his team. 
Like, without a moment's hesitation, he would sacrifice himself. But then you have characters like Benji and Luther who, no matter what, don't sacrifice yourself for me. Don't do it. Like, I am not worth it. So you have these moments where if somebody's in trouble, you genuinely don't know which way it's going to go. And uh, it's just great storytelling. So, yeah, Christopher McQuarrie, congrats on... I hope good things happen for you in your career. I mean, you're I think he's good, just going to keep making movies with Tom. Like, I don't think, I think yeah, <laughs> I think that's his he, deal. He's a good young up and comer director and I just want good things for him. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it works out. Uh, all right. There you go. That is mission impossible. Dead reckoning part one. Let's move on to our second review. Uh, let's talk a little bit about asteroid city. Last train. Junior stargazers and space cadets. Each year we celebrate asteroid day. Commemorating September 23rd, 3007 B.C., when the arid plains meteorite made Earth impact. Holy Toledo, that's Mitch Campbell. You were very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel Thank who you. gets amnesia and Thank becomes you. a pediatrician. You were very awesome. Actually, maybe my favorite character ever. I don't know why nobody else liked it. Oh. Set in a fictional American desert town circa 1955, the itinerary of a junior stargazer slash space cadet convention, organized to bring together students and parents from across the country for fellowship and scholarly competition, is spectacularly disrupted by world-changing events. Gum, gum, gum. Uh, Asteroid City is Wes Anderson's uh, latest film. It stars the entirety of the city of Hollywood. And uh, what did you guys think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it? Or it was just okay, Andrew? kick us off on this one it's okay just okay for andrew john uh i liked it john liked it uh guys it's stellar week for me pun intended uh i loved this movie um really wow yeah i i really enjoyed it um i you know rare are the weeks where we talk about two movies that i unabashedly love this is one of those weeks um, Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson is an interesting one for me because I did come to it a little bit late. Um, Same. and, and I don't know if I were to go rewatch some of the early ones I watched, if maybe I would see them with different eyes. I mean, like maybe I've adjusted to the language of the Anderson. I don't know. Um, but I have a delineating moment where I started liking his movies and it was fantastic. Mr. Fox. Um, mm. the only one before that, uh, that I have, um, that I, that I like is no, is bottle rocket. That's the only huh. one oh. that, that I like the others. I don't hate, but I, they're just, they, they just did not seem to be for me. And I know that's sacrilege for a lot of Wes Anderson fans. I know, uh, like you mentioned, the Royal Tenenbaums is a lot of people's favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, yeah. I didn't get it at all. Uh, I did not like that movie. And I do wonder if I watch it again, if I would, because something started happening to me with Fantastic Mr. Fox on um, and Moonrise Kingdom just kind of locked it in for me is I started to really fall in love with how he lets his story be told. And there is a style of acting in a Wes Anderson movie that goes along with the style of uh, shooting and visuals that can feel so performed. It can feel so very staged. 
And that typically is not a good thing uh, when you're watching a movie. But what it does is it really allows, at least me, to focus on the actual uh, story that is taking place in front of me. And because I'm often distracted by the the pretty uh, uh, visuals and all the symmetry and all the stuff that Wes Anderson does so well, it allows me to uh, to really kind of linger and be in there with these characters. Um, and I just, I've just locked in and I had such a good time with this. I think it's saying some really interesting things about what it means to feel like part of a group, what it means to feel like you don't belong or you do belong or why do you belong? How do you belong? Um, you know, what, what makes you alien to those around you? What makes you strange? Uh, most of these characters have moments where they deal with them being different or being strange. Um, I think he's doing some really interesting things here. You add to that the fact, and I know I'm talking a lot this episode, but it's because I loved both of these movies. You add, no, to, go for it, brother. You add to that the, the fact that it feels like Wes Anderson wrote himself a Charlie Kaufman movie with some of the stuff he's doing with recursiveness and being inside of you know a play within a play within a play, like that kind of stuff. And it's just it's just this next level of meta-ness for me that I really enjoy. Um, I also think the movie is saying incredible things about loss, how to process loss, how to deal with loss, um, and ends in a way that feels surreal, but also uh, feels like the only way this this movie could end it. In making the point um, that in that it is impossible to. Uh, to I'm just going to say it's impossible to get back up if you don't fall down. Um, and that's there's something really interesting in that concept and in that idea that this movie is is going for. So it just I just thought about it for hours afterwards, and I love when a movie uh, does that to me. So yeah, I had a good I time with Asteroids. I am delighted that you had such a positive experience with yeah. this yeah. movie. Yeah, I uh, do think that Aaron, if you go back and you watch some of the older uh, Wes Anderson films, you might appreciate it more because I think this film, more than any other of his like recent works, feels the most like his older works. It feels like Royal Ten Bombs. It feels like Rushmore or Life Aquatic. It feels like those. My issue with the movie, though, is while I do think the movie for me, what I picked up on was like it was talking about how people deal with the unknown is really what I was picking up from this one. But I think that the movie went about it in a very convoluted and unnecessarily lengthy way. I don't think the meta element of this movie worked for me because that's something that I really haven't seen much in Wes Anderson. So it kind of took me out of it a bit. Um, I'm not saying that I want him to be a copy paste of every single one of his movies. I want the guy to make whatever he wants. I'm just saying why it didn't work for me. Um, oh, real quick, just just a random thought in my head. Why haven't we been getting Matt Dillon and more Wes Anderson movies? Because he was absolutely <laughs> so hilarious. He was yeah. <laughs> he only, I mean, he only <laughs> had like the one scene, but I, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great... It's it's the scene that made me laugh the most out of the entire movie, just because he was talking about that car like he was going off onto like this great war adventure. All right, we're gonna have to go around the left flank to take care of this. It could be a carburetor, and it's the uh, the Rupert good. Friend stuff really worked for me too. I I uh, found a lot of that very funny as well. Uh, him playing a cowboy and 
Um, and then the the song, <laughs> the magical <mentioned>. spurs. <laughs> yes, yeah. Did you uh, pick up on that? The the song was the the part that I was speaking uh, more when they come oh. in to help the kid do the song or whatever, and then. <laughs> just, they all just start dancing and then it cuts to the parents have finally found their way to watch or whatever. And they're like, what is going on with yeah. their kids right now? Uh, yeah, it's funny stuff. The best part was the Rupert friend. Whenever he would walk around, you would hear spurs clinking. Uh-huh. But you looked at his feet. He wasn't wearing spurs. <laughs> he wasn't spurs. wearing spurs. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that got a good chuckle out of me too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some thoughts from you, John. We haven't heard much from you about this movie. Uh, I think first and foremost, the... The, the visuals of this movie, this like mid-century visual pastiche um, is one of the most gorgeous looking movies Wes has ever done. I think combining that, that desert pastel colors with his symmetrical and asymmetrical framing was just chef's kiss. It looked so gorgeous. I loved that color palette and the, and the, and, and the, uh, the different um, color spaces they were using for this movie. Um, and I really vibed with all of the fun and quirky dialogue, and I thought the script was was engaging, and there were so many interesting threads going on. I don't know that I was sort of tuned in closely enough to pick up on all of the metatextual elements that you did, Aaron, but I appreciate you sharing some, because I think that, that helps color and, and um, contextualize some of my experience with it. But the, the one thing that I, I both loved and appreciated, but also simultaneously was a little annoyed by, was this movie felt like it was populated entirely by celebrity cameos. Like, I loved <laughs> Schwartzman and Johansson. They did great work together. Yeah. Everybody else felt like, you know, Tilda Swinton, I'm here for two scenes. Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. I'll do three scenes. Yep. Matt Dillon, I'll do yep. a scene of Fisher yep. Stevens. I don't even think he has lines in this, but he gets up and walks around for a shot. Mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe, I think he probably did one day of shooting. Edward Norton is on maybe four pages of script. And I appreciated that every person was a big name, but it, it was a little distracting. It was like, oh, there's Jeff Goldblum. Oh, you missed him. He's gone. He's not in the movie anymore. And some of that bothered me. Other parts of it I enjoyed. Um, I And I, I felt like there were there were too many things and too many people for me to focus on. Like, who am I actually supposed to care about? Because I don't – it was like a movie without a protagonist, if that makes sense. Oh, I think Jason Schwartzman's the protagonist. Yeah, no, he, he is. And I empathize with his plot a lot. But for the – if he is the protagonist, he got maybe – 20 30 percent of the screen time i feel like it was you really think so i feel like the i really feel like the movie focused on him maybe maybe i'm misremembering because even like i i he was kind of uh he was the most prominent part of the text and the subtext uh metatextually um you know and it was about you know him as an actor trying to grow and him as a person in the play trying to grow um yeah, I feel like he was in more than 30% of the maybe, movie. Maybe. But. May, that might just be, again, my perception that I felt like I was interested in his story the most. And then we would frequently take detours with Jeffrey Wright over here in the government and the kids in their little astronomy club. And then we'd be over here with Steve Carroll restocking the, the vending machines. And it was just, there was a lot of other things mm-hmm. that kept kind of sure. pulling my focus, which, again, is kind of Wes's vibe, right? He likes to just throw everything at you, everything – is sort of surface level. We get we go we go really wide, but not really deep. And um, at least that's my sure. limited understanding of kind of how he sets up some of his scripts. And I enjoyed it a lot. Um, for me, I still prefer a couple of his other movies. Mr. Fox, Grand Budapest, I think were stronger. But this is this is like a you know an A or a B plus tier in the Wes Anderson catalog. And, and I, I do have to admit, uh, after hearing both of you mention it, 
I remembered that I have regretfully never seen Royal Tenenbaums, and that might be hmm. very, very near the top of my list of shame. I'm excited to hear, what, is, you, I'm excited to hear yeah. what you think about it. Many people do consider it his best, um, and I, I remember feeling very alone after I saw it. Uh, that in, in, in uh, Life Aquatic, I, those are my least favorite uh, Wes Anderson. I just came out of both of those going, what? What do people see in this? <laughs> I'm missing it. Um, so, so but then yeah. I only saw Rushmore for the first time like nine months ago. Like I'm, I'm getting into Wes's catalog. Did you see French really Dispatch? Late. Did you see French? I, I, I did, and that was what year ago? Two years ago? Yeah, like, it was just like a year ago. Yeah, and that was the same thing. I think for Asteroid City, like a lot of different things were going. That was more vignetted. So yeah, individual that was specifically uh, designed to be a uh, a magazine, right? Like the vignettes right. were articles within a magazine. I, I, I just I kind of like what he's doing. He's finding a a venue to tell stories how he likes to tell them that kind of makes sense, right? Like the vignettes of a magazine feel like they should be symmetrical or artistic or look a certain way. The idea of a, a movie within a play within a movie, you know, like feels like you should experience some of those things. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to this stage and what, whatever he's working out and whatever he's doing. Um, I also have to say that I had some scenes in here where I was just riveted on the dialogue, even though both of the actors were given, uh, you know, pretty steady Wes Anderson performances, right? Like there's, you could never accuse anybody in a Wes Anderson movie of overacting, right? It's it's very rigid and stiff. It's very subtle, but I, I cannot wait to watch the the Schwartzman Margot Robbie scene again, I thought mm. it was I was captivated by it. The idea, just I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it where they are re. I don't think this is too spoiler spoil uh, spoilery, but they are reenacting a scene that was cut from the movie that we are watching, and so when she's talking about it. Instead of delivering the lines as the character, she's saying things like, and then I said, and then you said, and then I said, and you just realize this is Wes Anderson boiling it all the way down to the script, right? Like if the character's already being subtle and subdued wasn't enough for you, we're now going to go beyond that where they're literally just saying the lines that they would say as if they were telling somebody about the lines that they would say. And I just, I found it to be fascinating and captivating and kind of moving, which I just, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed that scene. I enjoyed some of the, the Scarlett Johansson Schwartzman scenes as well. I thought some of those were, were really well done. Um, the one I appreciate she- you diving into that. I will revisit it with new eyes. And you said you can't wait. You don't have to. This movie actually is already yes. on digital, which is how I saw it this week. So yeah, it came out on VOD really... this week, I think. Yeah, yeah it, like three, wow. two, two and a half weeks after it was released. Why well, it's it, already on? Correct. VOD, and we so. should say we are reviewing this. Uh, you know, three weeks after it came out as uh, well. We're just getting still around not to even it, but... a month. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> well, that's that's kind of what's happening, especially with a lot of these. Um, but it also performed well for a Wes Anderson movie. Um, it was one of his best opening weekends, one or of best, best wide weekends, I think mm-hmm. we should yeah. say. Well, he so. wasn't going up against much, also. There wasn't that's... a lot opening around. But uh, going back to the scene you're talking about, Aaron, that's, it for me, and why it didn't work for me, is while you see this 
great breakdown of like how it's all coming down to the script. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing, I'm watching that scene and I'm going, this is a character or this is a director slash writer who doesn't have enough confidence in his original story that he has to bring in this. I hate saying pretentious art house because I think that Wes Anderson is so much more than that. He, he, he's definitely, uh, a character and mm-hmm. his movies are, are a, a repre- repre- reflection of that. But I just can't look at that scene and hopefully I'll watch because you know me, I'm a huge Wes Anderson film. I, I genuinely like or love all of his movies. I would say this is near the bottom for me, unfortunately. Um, but I want to love it because I love him so much. So hearing everything that you've said, I want to go back and listen to it again. I just, I, again, I just, again. I'm struck by moments. Uh, I'm struck by the way that Anderson plays with form and again, allows the emotions to speak from the situation. Even when the actors aren't over emoting them. Um, I find that really interesting. There's, there's a, a, a scene I really enjoy of Jeffrey Wright delivering um, a, like a list, like a lesson and it's one of the most interesting things how like he is doing performative things at this uh session like switching from a mic and then moving this mic over here and and moving to cool. somewhere else and it's just like it's like it's almost like a, a choreographed dance and it's like you 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 can't help but think okay this is this is a purposeful way for us to be activated and interested in what he is doing and what he is saying but it's also an interesting statement on this scene and what it is doing and what it is saying. Um, and I just had moment after moment like that. I, I found uh, the meeting between the Schwartzman character uh, who wanted the part and uh, the Norton character, who I believe was the writer, uh, if yeah. I remember correctly. Their meeting scene I found really interesting and fascinating. It closes in a really specific, interesting way that I that I think is meaningful, probably more than I know to to Wes Anderson. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just, I, I'm really fascinated by what he's doing. And if nothing else, even if it doesn't connect to you, if nothing else, you watch a Wes Anderson movie like this one and you just go, man, swing away, Meryl. You know what I mean? Just like, just keep... <laughs> keep going right like it's i i love big swings and i cannot lie i i i was gonna say everything you've explained so far has and will encourage me i think to revisit this this i i feel i i I am not uh gonna be humble and say i'm a stupid person Uh, i feel like i am i my media literacy i think is better than most people but i watch wes anderson movies and i feel dumb i'm like i don't know that i totally get what he's trying, there's so many metaphors and layers mm-hmm. to all of this. And I watch a movie like Asteroid City, like, I love the the idea and the conceit and all the colors and the ideas and the film within a play within a whatever, but I don't know if I really get it. And this is a movie I think I would I would appreciate rewatching a little bit down the road where I can kind of contextualize some of the stuff you've brought to this discussion and maybe appreciate it more because I know that on first viewing, I was... A little bit confused and a little bit distracted, and I was like, I, I like it. I'm enjoying it. It's funny. I'm engaged, but mm-hmm. I also don't know if I am supposed to understand this or that, or if I'm supposed to be kind of confused and just I- I- entertained. And mm-hmm. um, but that's been my experience for all of Wes's film. I always leave them going like, I think I love that, but I also don't understand half of it. So okay, <laughs> eight out of ten. That was fun, and that was kind of my experience with this one. 
There are two very specific self-referential things that happen in the movie that I thought were fun to uh, where the movie uh, sets up something that's going to happen later and then pays it off uh, later because of the the conceit with which uh, it's working. It's able to operate on both of those levels where people are talking about, oh, what if I performed it this way? And then later you get to see how they performed it. You know, like that kind of stuff um, I found uh, really no, interesting that was and fun. I, well. I, I recall so. a couple of those and that was great. Yeah. So uh, do you guys have any other thoughts? I've, I've talked way too much about this movie. No, um, honestly, you had the most insightful stuff to say, like. <laughs> You know, I was, was like, I, I was like a adult man, like film, very good feeling, looks nice. <laughs> like I don't, I, I don't have a lot on this one. I'm sorry. I do. I did. I did double check because you know I love my stats and numbers. Royal Tenenbaums is number four most popular movie of the 2000s that I have not seen. I, it's there it's you high, go. like I said, high on that list of shame. That is fourth. I got to go check it out. Yeah. Uh, my one last thing then will be, um, I think the three little girls in this are great. I love I, them I so enjoy much. that a lot. They reminded me a lot of my kids in the best and way. They're clearly, I just love them and Tom Hanks together. Yeah. <laughs> they are clearly supposed to be like kid versions of like the witches from Macbeth or something, you know, like yeah. it's like they're, they clearly have this thing going. The one little I don't know if you noticed this. I, I don't think this is a spoiler. The one little girl says she's a vampire or whatever. And I swear there's a moment in the movie where she has vampire teeth, not like fake ones, like <laughs> re- like she's laughing or something. You see, she had, literally has real vampire teeth. I, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, put I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I yeah, could I be wrong. I could be making that up. Uh, but I love those little girls. They were amazing. Um, all right. There you go. That is Asteroid City. It is in theaters. And as John mentioned, available on VOD right now. Pick your poison. Uh, before we head into our best ever challenge, just a reminder that we do a, a podcast before the podcast. Uh, we do a Moops show uh, where Andrew puts together some fun stuff for us, including um, some things you may know from previous eras of Sif Pop, like uh, the drunk Sif Pop uh, makes an appearance uh, this week. Uh, so if you're interested in that, that's uh, something that is a perk of some of our uh, patrons, our Sifpop members at patreon.com slash Sifpop. So go check it out. And to those who already throw a couple bucks uh, a month our way, thank you again. Um, we, we really, really do appreciate it. So thank you for doing that. And I hope you enjoy the extra content uh, that comes your way each week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's move into the best ever challenge. Uh, we are going to do the best ever part ones. Now, this <laughs> this this might be a little bit difficult. You may uh, we may have different ideas about what could or couldn't fit here. This happens in the best ever challenge. So sometimes. Let's, I, I, I want I want to okay. call out a couple uh, sort of ground rules, uh, Aaron. In the in the sort of prerequisite email that you yes. email, you specifically said I think it was a great example. Back to the Future does not count because that original movie was not planned to set up sequels. Correct. But um, uh, Fellowship of the Ring would count because yes. that was part of a planned trilogy. My question, and it would affect my rankings, 
does Avengers Infinity War count? Because it was planned to have yes. a sequel, yes. but it was also Avengers 3. It didn't have to specifically be the first part it's of part a... One. That's part one. They produced those okay. at the it's same time. It's a part time. one it's... because Endgame was a part two. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah. we're not counting that as Avengers 3. It's Avengers Infinity War Correct. part one. Okay. Correct. I assumed yeah. so. Just wanted to call that out. So we're all cool. yeah. sort of qualifying and, and expelling the right choices. Uh, who wants to who wants to go first? We'll go number five to number one. I'll kick us off. Um, I at number five uh, have Dune Part One. Uh, Same at number five. Oh, nice. Trump. I love go. how you started the the sounder. That was that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we'll wait to talk about that here in a bit. Uh, Andrew, what is your number? Well, no, I guess we're to John because And uh, Andrew, yours yep. was also Dune Part One. So, uh, John, what's your number five? Uh, it chapter one. Good choice. Uh, you can hit the Trump button. Trump. All right. Uh, Under number fours. Uh, yeah. Just flying right through this. Uh, number four. <laughs> I have Kill Bill Volume One uh, in at number four. Um, these honorable movie- mention for me. That was a good. Was a good pick. Uh, yeah. It's it's really it's still interesting to me why directors decide or producers or studios or whoever ends up making the decision which movies to split into two or which not my assumption is when a director's like i'm gonna have to take four and a half hours to tell this story then the studio's like yeah let's release two movies um because i really think quentin counts this as a single movie i really think he does like in his i'm gonna make so many movies you know, before I'm done, I think he said I'm gonna make ten movies before I'm yeah, done. Yeah, he whatever. does. He counts. He counts the Kill Bills as a single. Yeah, story. he counts this as one movie, and um, but the you know the the Kill Bill experience is certainly an experience. I am not a huge Tarantino fan, but there's something incredibly uh, specifically for me beautiful about this movie, and um, I think it has some of the best needle drops. Uh, which is saying a lot for Quentin, um, but it, it has is saying of, a lot. He's pretty good about incorporating. He's great music. with needle drops, but I think some of his best are in this movie. Um, I'm surprised so. to hear you pick this because, um, not to put too fine a point on it, it's excessively violent, and you generally sure. kind of shy away from movies that sort of glorify is, for the sake of glorification. Yeah, and but see, for a movie like this, though, the the violence to me in this movie feels uh, like a, um, a cartoon. I was going to say a surrealist painting. I okay, was going to say, yeah. like, there's a, there's an artistry to what's going on here that it's isn't just... It's not meant just, to be real. Yeah, isn't just, you know, bang, 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 reload, bang, 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 reload, you know, um, and, and it's a lot of sword play, which yeah. I think is a lot cooler and a lot more interesting if you're going to do violence. Fair um, so, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> if you're going to go, go all out. Just, just go for <laughs> it. Just bring out that katana and start chopping limbs. Uh, Andrew, what is your number four? This is where I have it. Oh, nice. okay, nice. I had my honorable mentions. Uh, I love this first movie. Um, the reason why there's going to be a lot of people who are like, Andrew, you have It above Dune. Yes, I do, because It is a completed movie. I'm sure <laughs> once Dune Dune comes out, then it would make my uh, it would be higher up on my list. But no, I love It. I think that you know me. I'm a Stephen King like aficionado. I love this the is guy's one of the body best adaptations I think of any King property in my opinion yeah yeah uh, i mean, I, mean, I, mean I, I actually think it is better than the shining and i don't know if that's sacrilegious or not but it might yeah. be my favorite oh the misery's up there too 
Uh, well, and Shawshank. Oh, wow, he's done a lot of good stories. I was about to say, <laughs> the Green Mile, you know. Ah, shoot, he's he's done, done a lot of good stuff, hasn't he? He's done yeah, a lot of really good has. stuff. I mean, it, well, it's definitely better than like Pet Cemetery and the Langoliers, but um, yeah. <laughs> the I, I Langoliers. Think, <laughs> I, I, think, I think one reason why I loved it, and I put it in, in fifth, is uh, the kids. I think this feels so mm-hmm. much like that first season of Stranger Things. It encapsulates that Rob Reiner stand by me sort of ethos of like, here are the kids, they're going on an adventure, it's summer, they're going to stay out late, get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And I, th- it captures that feeling of like summer in the suburbs where I grew up, where my kids are going to grow up so very well. And Skarsgård is just like, oh my gosh, this man is terrifying in some of these scenes. Mm-hmm. It is, it is that, that opening bit with Georgie, uh, like underneath <laughs> the, uh, the storm oh drain. My gosh. It's no, some of the you. best. It's some of the best shot daytime horror you can imagine, like seeing. It's, no, it's so legit. well done. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah. job, Muschietti. I wish. Have you the, ever done uh, a best Flash. ever? Have you ever done a best ever challenge on Stephen King adaptations? Because I feel like that would be a competitive. I don't know. I don't know if we have or not. I'll have to consult. Keep that in I'll your have back to Consult the the, uh, yeah, the yeah. archive. That doesn't we exist. have not, by the way. I'm 99% <laughs> sure we have. Um, now it's uh, time to talk Dune, which I have fourth and you guys had it fifth. Nice. Yep. Uh, what, what did we all like about it, besides the fact that it didn't have an ending? <laughs> well, you, you had it at number four, so you get to start, because uh, you had um, it the highest. I, I, I don't want to take up too much time. I will say the, the world building and the visual uh, creation of um, this this planet and this ecosystem and the, and the economy and all of the, the stuff and the weapons and the commerce and the politics... I thought was realized so so much better than the the David Lynch version, which is just kind of insane. Um, so just if you watch this like on mute, I'd be like, "This is fascinating." I'm into whatever's happening, even if I don't know what's going on. I loved the the look and the feel of everything. Yeah, it's it's world building uh, for me. It's it does the world building in such uh, complete and interesting ways, um, and I am genuinely excited to see what happens uh, with these characters. I, I am very excited to see the second half of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever that comes out. And, and the, the, the uh, visuals, too. I, I think the, the special effects in this were just absolutely flawless. Yeah. There's a reason why Denis is my favorite director. Mm-hmm. It's because he, yeah, it doesn't matter the scale of the movie. He's going to knock it out of the park. He could do something really intimate like prisoners where you know it's really confined or he could do something grandiose like uh, blade runner or this like there mm. is no limit to like how big of a universe you want to make he can deliver yeah he's yep. been um i've only seen six of his movies but my least favorite was sicario and i think i gave that like an eight out of ten like he's been doing really good work yeah i mean arrival uh is fantastic enemy is another excellent film um, I'm really excited to see what what Dunk Part Two has for the store. Is that that's this year, right? Dunk Dune Dunk. comes out in December, right? Yeah. This year, 2023. Yeah, I think it's supposed to. Yeah, awesome. Number three. Uh, uh, number three is. I, I just I'm just waiting for Dune Part Two to come out, and it starts off and it it starts off with Dune Part Two, and then the little parentheses comes up of three, and I'm just gonna <laughs> lose my mind. I'm just gonna lose You're just my gonna... mind. I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw chairs, chairs across the room. I'm done with this. I'm, you're over, gonna go I'm overturning full. the tables. Uh, yeah, that's you're going full Real Housewife on them. 
Uh, all right, our number threes. Uh, my number three is Avatar The Way of Water. Might be the stretchiest of my picks, but uh, it is definitely a movie made with another movie in production to be part of a completed I, story. I, I um, will admit I did not consider this as a, quote, part one, so it is not even in my honorable mentions. It would be higher than what we have it now, but let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I mean, it's a fairly recent review, so we don't have to rehash everything. Um, but I have recently, recently watched it again, and it continues to grow did, in my estimation. I've only seen yes. it that one time. I, I, I have now seen it four times, uh, and it gets better every time. Um, I, I think, I think Cameron is is doing genius level uh, story setup in this movie, while again telling a complete story in the movie itself. Um, I am so pumped to see where. Specifically, the Natiri Spider Quaritch stuff goes in the next yes. movies. Uh, it's it's really amazing how well that has already been set up. So um, yeah, good for, good stuff. For, for my money, the best uh, director living today is Jim Cameron. He uh, I don't think has ever made a not even a he's never made a bad film. He's never made a not incredible film. Like his worst <laughs> movie, his worst movie is exceptional, which I think would probably be like The Abyss. Piranha 2? I, well, I, I don't know if I count that. <laughs> I, I know he personally doesn't count it. Um, if of you course exc- he doesn't. <laughs> right. If you exclude Piranha 2, like his worst movie is like The Abyss. And like that movie's incredible. Well, I, I just yeah. need The Abyss to come out in 4K. Like I'm it doesn't waiting. even have a Fingers Blu-ray. Crossed. It doesn't even have a Blu-ray yet. Like you can't. I you, know. Like, so, and that's a Cameron thing. And he said it's, he said he just has to get them perfect and get them perfect. Get them perfect. I hope I'm still around uh, yeah. when they come out. I, I've been wanting to rewatch that ever since the uh, submersible Titan, uh, you know, was all over the news mm-hmm. a couple of weeks back. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm in the mood for a good underwater movie where the heroes aren't morons and uh, the Abyss yeah. isn't available to watch in HD. So I'm like, yeah. eh, maybe I'll wait. Eh, maybe I'll watch Sphere. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite as good, but sure. Um, uh, all right, uh, that is my uh, number three. Uh, Andrew, what is your number three? I'm going to go with Across the Spider Verse. I, I will trump that. Trump. All right, uh, John, what is your number three? This is where I have the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings. Uh, we'll go on to our number two. Uh, number two is where I have Infinity War. Me Same. too. Oh, hey. Infinity War number two. Very nice. uh, all right, it's a great movie. Yeah. We all love it. We've talked about it plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I still think it's the lesser of the two movies, but I know you guys disagree with that, and it's okay to be wrong. Um, <laughs> Thanos has a great arc in this movie. It's one of the best, I think, villain arcs in any movie. It's like yeah. an hour of the screen time is devoted to Thanos, and I love that. Yeah, It's his movie, mm-hmm. yeah. for sure. Yes, we have talked much about our love for this movie. I think uh, the only thing I would reiterate is the talking point that now makes me angry when I hear people talking about this movie is the, and we've talked about this before, but it's getting more and more annoying, the idea that this movie didn't have, uh, that the the dusting in this movie didn't have any stakes and that just annoys me so much because how far do yeah. you take that logic, right? Like, can you not invest yourself in what's happening in the movie itself? You know, like the the idea of outside influences of, well, we know they're not actually dead because we know they're going to be in. I don't care. These I think characters are going through something. Like yeah, yeah. Tony Stark is is holding his protege in his 
arms. And he says, I don't want to go like that. I, I just like that. That totally annoys me how people dismiss uh, the actual power of the, the dusting. Well, I mean, uh, that's that like that's that, I mean, that criticism is, is useless because it can apply to any movie at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, well. You know, to, to call back to earlier, like, well, I don't really care that Emilio Estevez got impaled by an elevator in first minute possible because <laughs> Emilio Estevez is still alive in real life, and it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. so that's just like it's totally pointless. This movie isn't your real life. This yeah. movie is happening to people in a fantasy world, yeah. right? And in that world, the stakes matter. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think Anyhow. it's a sign of people being impatient because they <clears throat> wanted, they knew that they weren't going to get the resolution for like this moment for years. Yeah. So they're like, oh, well, in that case, it's bad, and I yeah. hate it. Yeah. And for and- me, I just wanted to see <clears throat> Iron Man and Captain finally make a truce, team up, and fight the bad guy. And I, I wanted some of that here, and we had to wait all the way to Endgame before we got that moment. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, I think, for me, the my favorite moments yeah. are with Cap or Iron Man, and they never share a scene in this movie. And that is what really kind of like bothered me is that they yeah. never, not even a single moment, are they together, or even talk to each other. And that, yeah. I think, kind of holds it back for me. There you go. That is our uh, unanimous number two, Infinity War. So on to our number ones, uh, which should be pretty obvious. Mine is Fellowship of the Ring. Um, yep. I trumped it from uh, from John earlier. I had it third. I had it three. Um, what were you saying, Andrew? No, oh, I was saying, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've both got this at number one. Um I don't have of all the movies like to, to find something new to say about like I, I do think the more time goes on and more generations of movie lovers, you know, uh, come out. There is a sense that a seismic movie like this loses a little bit of the understanding of its importance. I don't um, think so. Not here. And well, no, no, no. I'm not saying it does lose it. I'm saying that it loses the perception of importance because. Mm. Uh, a greater percentage of the people didn't experience that seismic shift that a movie like this uh, brought. Um, and, you know, it, for instance, like maybe how Jaws would be for our, our generation. Like we can, we can watch it and recognize how good of a movie it is, how well it's done or whatever, but we didn't experience the first summer blockbuster and how that changed yeah. the industry. You know what I mean? And I think right. uh, Lord of the Rings kind of has that going on now where if you weren't there, it's hard for you to conceptualize how this invented nerd culture in some ways, like nerd movie culture specifically. I don't, um, I don't think that's incorrect. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. This was, yeah. this was a seismic shift in filmmaking. And I think history will look on Peter Jackson's trilogy very favorably. He went, you know, he went all out in a way that no filmmaker has, I think, before or since in terms of verisimilitude and actually getting mm-hmm. thousands of extras and authentic costumed pieces and armor and, and weapons on location in the mountains of New Zealand. And this movie will look phenomenal till the end of time. Um, yeah. it, it, it holds up so very well and it pioneered so much of what, uh, yeah, I think nerd culture, what we kind of take for granted in that big epic. I mean, it's like a, with the extended version, it's like an 11 hour film. It's Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so very incredible for me. I still prefer the other two over Fellowship. I think Fellowship's the weakest of the first three. Um, but even that, again, even the weakest Lord of the Rings movie is an exceptional experience. Yeah. I think that if Aaron and I had to sit down and like discuss like what we would consider Sif's Pop's choice for the greatest movie of all time, 
I think we would come across saying that Lord of the Rings is the best movie ever made if we had to like agree on something. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Yeah. I mean, we both really like each other's number ones, though, too. So, like, you know, it would be yeah. an interesting conversation for sure. But it's definitely Singing one in we- the Rain and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm. Yeah. Which are very, very different. Yes. <laughs> they are very different. <laughs> it came but out I like a decade Lord- apart, but. <laughs> I have Lord of the Rings at uh, number two, like right after the Good, the Bad, all and the time. Ugly. So. Yeah, all yeah, time. Yeah, and, and I've got it at like number three or four. So, yeah, it probably wow. would be. Yeah. Wow, 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 yeah. you, I, I didn't, I didn't, I maybe, forgive me for, I've only, I've only been on the show th- 38 times now, but I did not realize <laughs> that the two of you uh, held the Lord of the Rings in such high esteem. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I have Return of the King ranked 12th all time. So it's not quite a top 10 movie for me, but it's, it's nice. certainly a very, well, very and we also, I'm going to have to send you my top 100 on Letterboxd. You should, you should send me that. That'd be, that, I, I, I could probably piece together a lot of it, but that would be helpful. And the other, the other <laughs> place that Andrew and I agree is we refuse to talk about them as individual movies. We see yes. the three movies as a single yeah, film. Yeah, I, I think, and I think if you look at it that way, it tops more of my lists. If you look at it as a holistic trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, individually, Fellowship's a little bit weaker for me. Return of the King is just phenomenal, flawless. Can't heap enough alkalides on it. Yeah, so technically, if you look at my list on Letterbox, my number four is Fellowship of the Ring. That is a stand-in for The yeah, Lord yeah, right. of the Rings. Um, so, so yeah, I've got Singing in the Rain, Finding Nemo, North by Northwest, and then Lord of the Rings. So oh, it is my good, number Those four. are good picks. I love North <laughs> by Northwest. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So good. Um, not, not, to, not to dilute kind of an anticlimactic, but my number one is uh, brand new, and maybe I'm a little too recency biased on this, uh, Across the Spider-Verse. I, I was just floored by this one. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys loved it as well. I think I listened to the episode where you guys talked about it and, and mm-hmm. mostly just gushed. I'm, I'm, I'm the one on this one that, uh, hates it. Um, because I, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was in uh, the same boat I was today whenever we were talking about yeah, the yeah. mission Impossible. I really like movie. this movie. I, 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 I like this movie. Tell me why, tell me why you love it. Um, I, this is so many things going for in a way, the, the big swing analogy, right? This is doing things and showing me things and imagery and characters and and the cons- this this uses the concept of the multiverse. I think it's such an interesting way that that parses out way more confliction and, and ideas than any previous movie has. It isn't just like oh look this one's different. It's like what if they were different but also at odds with each other and actively trying to suppress that one element of the multiverse that could have hope. And I thought there were just so many interesting themes and the animation style and the music and the action and and the the emotion here was just phenomenal. Um, I, I, I worry that uh, and as time and if I rewatch it, I might come down a bit. I only just saw this for the first time a few weeks ago, so maybe I'll, I'll cool off a bit and Infinity War or Lord of the Rings might top it for me, but this is, this is an exceptional film that I am looking forward to revisiting as soon as it's on digital. And I hope we get to see the end of it within yes. the next five years. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my, that's my only thing is like, ah, it didn't really, it just kind of ends. And I was like, ah, I was just getting good. It was or yeah. just getting yeah. better, I should say. Yeah. Um, honorable mentions. Who wants to go first? I didn't have any, you guys mentioned. John, did you have any others? That I would have. Um, I, I do actually. And, and Phil pointed out that Andrew and I had the exact same top five today. Just mm-hmm. in slightly different orders, which I think that is, is, correct. is pretty neat. Um, my honorable mentions, uh, Harry Potter 7, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Um, I also had Kill Bill. I mentioned that. Um, Andrew, surprised you didn't mention this one. Batman, The Dark Knight Returns Part 1. 
uh, the animated feature from 2018-ish. I forget when that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, that I wasn't one's the actually the biggest. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of that adaptation of it. I, really? I love the graphic novel way, way more. I, I was. I don't have reference for the graphic novel, but I do know the Dark Knight Returns is a very famous graphic novel. It's one of the, the you know, the bigger and, and more well-known properties. Um, and I, that's yeah. my only sort of um, window into that, and I really appreciated it. Um, I would also put uh, Dead Reckoning. Uh, I don't know that we usually typically include the the current movie in the Best Ever Challenge, but if I had to, that would be near the top for me. Like it, it was correct. Yeah, it it's was, kind of a. Is it an unspoken rule, or have we spoken it? Um, I, it I've always assumed it was unspoken. That we it's don't. An, it's an unspoken rule. The 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 movie that the list is based on that we were you know reviewing oh, yeah, was not eligible yeah. for yeah. for our list. Although sometimes guests don't know that and they'll put it in there, and that's fine. That's, you know, um, and then, and then, there. lastly, and this is more of a uh, more of a, just a, a fun inclusion because I don't think it's that great of a film. But History of the World Part One, <laughs> which came out t- forty two years ago, and finally got a sequel in a form of a Hulu what series. What an amazing example of literally a movie that says it's a Part One, and, but, but it no was not a Part One. No intention then, of being a Part One. But then they did make a Part Two, fulfilling yeah. this forty two year old joke. Mel Brooks <laughs> is a genius, uh, and yeah. again, it's not like it's not one of Mel Brooks's best movies. But there are definitely certain vignettes and scenes that are very, very funny. And I have to include it because it included part one as a total gag that for 42 years just went unanswered. And just and they finally paid it off. It's, it's the longest setup payoff, I think, in, in at least in cinematic titles. And I got to just honorable mention to that one. <laughs> Uh, I would also mention Mockingjay Part One. Uh, I do like the the Hunger Games yeah, Mockingjay movies. I, I kind of forget those movies were really good, and everyone yeah. was on them for like four years, and then just you don't hear anybody talk about mm-hmm. them anymore. And then the other one I would mention, uh, while it is true that Back to the Future One is not uh, a Part One, Back to the Future Two, ironically, is kind it's of a, a Part, part One. one. Um, so oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that counted. That would have been on near my top as well. Yeah, I figured it. I figured it might have been, but they were produced at the same time with the intention of releasing both of them, and they do intersect in uh, some ways. So um, I think it would fit the category. So yeah. Right, so put Avatar and Back to the Future near the top of my list. <laughs> we're all good. Just forget go. everything I said. It was all out of order it's all it's all broken i'm out of order you're out of order we're all out of <laughs> we're order all out of order uh all damn right. systems out of order we're going to do our sift quest our excuse me our buried treasure the sift quest is in the pre-show that if you're a well, sift you member you have access to uh the buried treasure this week what is that one thing in any area of pop culture you want to make sure people know about it john you're our guest so you will go last andrew kick us off uh well it's my buried treasure this week is a movie that not even ChatGPT could predict would be the number one <laughs> at the box office, and that is Sound of Freedom. <laughs> Sound uh, of Freedom, interesting. Have either of you guys seen this movie yet? I've I have, heard, I, it, Liz, I have not seen it, but I've heard so much about it, and I'm not convinced everything I've heard is genuine. So I'd love to hear from a real person and not some astroturfed, you know, Christian-funded <laughs> bot on Twitter. What did you actually think about the child trafficking movie? Man, child trafficking is great, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this movie is phenomenal. Absolutely loved it. I didn't really get any sense of either political or religious. No, no... I, I don't think the movie is, but everyone talking about it just feels like 
overt well, there are, in your face. There are lots of like church groups buying out, you know, right to go and see this and stuff. It is a rough movie. I will say this, and the fact that you know this movie could have gone even harder because this is PG thirteen, that you know that it could. But even for PG thirteen, the the stuff that they're dealing with and talking about is pretty traumatic. Uh, performances all around are great. I love Jim Caviezel. He's always been one of my favorites. Uh, the two young kids in this, Crystal Aparcio and Lucas Avilia, so good. Like, you know, like whenever you, you get the chance to really praise good child acting, like, I cannot wait to see what these kids who are like four and five, like what they're able to do. They're so good. Uh, so many, it's just a wild story. And I think that if you guys get the chance to see this, I think you'll really be impressed by how good it is. Oh, I'm definitely planning and interested to see it because I've, I've heard so much about it. My only negative is the discourse has been unfortunately kind of heated and it's like, Hey, hey, hey let's like, everyone's against child trafficking. Let's not point fingers at left or right right now. Cause uh, it seems unproductive. We all yeah. don't well, watch kids to be kidnapped. <laughs> unfortunately, because it is possibly the most vilified and vile act uh, that our culture sees, people use it to, in a polarized culture, to paint yeah. other people as terrible people, right? Yeah. And so conspiracies, whatever will happen, will all, often yeah. involve words like child trafficking, pedophile, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. whatever. They'll, they'll put that in there. Um, and so unfortunately, that becomes part of the surrounding hubbub around something like this, uh, especially when you've got Jim Caviezel involved, who's, um, you know, uh, very outspoken with some ideas of how he sees specifically the world. Um, mm -hmm. So. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, there's a it's uh, at the end of this movie, like in the credits, you'll see a section where it says, uh if you want a free ticket to go and see this movie, we'll give you a free ticket because we want as many people to see this as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think commendably uh, the movie has pioneered a, a pay it forward campaign where anyone who yeah. likes the movie can buy a ticket for the next person and anybody can go to the um, the Angel Studios website or the Sound of Freedom website and pick up a yeah. ticket that someone else has already paid for and see the movie for free because they just want to get the, the message out. That I, I, I Obviously, I know that child trafficking is bad and I know it's prevalent and it's terrible. I think some people don't know that. And this might be their first and only exposure to this dark underworld that, that unfortunately a lot of our, uh, you know, unfortunate government agents have to deal with, uh, you know, fleshing out, uh, flushing out rather. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I've just been so distracted this week from the baggage of, of the discourse. Yeah. And I, like, I want to cut through and just actually see the movie for what it is and appreciate or not appreciate it for what it's trying to do. And I'm glad to hear you actually just liked it on the merits of a film. No, I think, yeah, I think first and foremost, it is a great movie. I was fascinated, not fascinated. I learned about the organizations that yeah, are right. involved in like, it's not just somebody stealing a kid. There are, there are groups behind this. This is, this is organized crime that's going on because they make the, they make the, uh, the reference in the movie. They say, you can sell a bag of cocaine once. You can sell a kid five times in a day. And like once that sinks in and you realize that that's the movie that you're dealing with, it uh, it's powerful. It's a very powerful movie. 
Well, I will say uh, before we move on that this cause is <clears throat> near and uh, dear to my heart. I, I genuinely believe it is our greatest failing as a human uh, species uh, mm. to not protect our children. Um, and uh, my job was very generous to make a donation to uh, a charity on my birthday, and I chose Love 146. Uh, if you haven't checked out Love 146, please do. Uh, they do specific uh, survivor care work with and uh, children and getting children out uh, of trafficking. Um, so uh, I wanted to, to mention that uh, because no, it is it is heavy on my heart. So there are other places that are doing great work as well. Uh, Love 146 is just the, the one that uh, I've come across and uh, have supported in the past. So. So there you go. Um, all right. So on to my buried treasure, which just as uh, serious and somber. How do you follow let's, up? Let's that? lift the mood a little bit here. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Nope, not at all. I'm going to talk about Futurama season 11. Yes. Uh, I forgot out. this was coming. Uh, yeah, so season 11 drops on the 24th of this month, if you're listening to this in July of 2023. Um, and I got some screeners. I got screeners of the first seven Ooh. episodes. Uh, I think it is a 10-episode season. And I'll just say I think Futurama still got its fastball. I really nice. had a good time with these episodes. Um Unlike some, like the movies, you know, were different because of their length. They were still hilarious. By the way, those movies are great. And, and also, I should say, some people will say this is season eight because of all the different various <laughs> incarnations uh, of this. I go with 11. Uh, feel free to pick your poison. Um, but uh, this is just, these are just Futurama episodes. They're just Futurama episodes. Like, you know, they're the, the typical, you know, 20 to 25 minute, you know. That's great. Jam packed with jokes, the characters you love, self referential stuff. Um, so thank yeah. you for putting this back on my radar. Um, I watched the pilot of Futurama when it aired in 1999. I fell in love. I loved this offshoot of The Simpsons that took things in a much more sci fi way. I thought the satire was a lot stronger and more pointed. Um, and it ran great for four seasons and then it got canceled. And I was like, oh, well, whatever, you know. Easy come, easy go. And then it came back, and then it got canceled. And then it came back, and then it got canceled. And now it's back. I think this is the fourth, fifth. Again, if you count yeah, the movies yeah. as their own little thing, this is, I think, the fifth iteration. Believe of me, there are plenty of meta jokes about this in the new <sighs> season. Um, I, I, it's, oh, really? it's an un, unkillable show. And what's so funny and also great is that in the time Futurama has been canceled and resurrected four separate times, the Simpsons never even left its time slot. <laughs> it's amazing. Sundays at 8 on Fox. I just... <laughs> I, it's so, so interesting that Matt uh, Gehring has those two sort of claims. They're the longest running show and the only show to be canceled four separate times. Like he has both of those records. Um, that's great. It's amazing. I'm it, glad it, to hear you loved it though. That I, one uh, of my favorite shows. I don't know if you watched Disenchantment. Also a home run in my opinion. I thought Disenchantment was mm -hmm. also really, really funny. Uh, I wonder if that'll have a couple lives as well. But, um, but yeah, Futurama, I think. It's hard to say something is better than The Simpsons. It just is. But Futurama does some things a lot better than The Simpsons does. And um, and I, I yeah, it really makes me laugh. So, yeah, I wanted to give you a heads up. It's coming out the 24th of July, 2023 on Hulu. I will definitely nice. keep an eye open for that. And I think it's a weekly drop. I could be wrong, it, oh, I, but nice. I think it's a weekly drop. 
Uh, all right, John, what's your buried treasure? Uh, this one is uh, premiering uh, today, July the 14th, in theaters across the country. I got a chance to see it as a mystery movie at Regal Cinemas a couple weeks back. Theater Camp is mm. a, a brand new sort of low-budget indie film that, and the best way I can sell it and describe it, it this feels like a spiritual successor to the great stuff from Christopher Guest. Best in show, a mighty win, this is Spinal Tap. But this one is about the quirky kids, self-serious quirky kids at a uh, theater camp in upstate New York. And this, um, going into it literally and completely blind, I had never even heard of the movie. I sat down for this Mystery Monday thing that Regal Cinemas does. I had never done that before. It's five bucks, I sit down, and I don't even know what the movie's gonna be or what it's gonna be about. This title card flashes on the screen and then we watch the movie. And maybe it helps that I went to a theater school. I went to Emerson College. I knew a lot of theater kids. They have a type. They have a personality. They have a boisterousness and an ambition. And and they think everything they do is the best and only thing that matters. And theater camp kind of really hones in on that and makes every little dumb play and dumb decision they do seem like the end of the world when it doesn't go right. And the camera and the characters is constantly winking and nudging at the audience like, these guys are not very good. This is not serious. This is not important. And I was on the floor, like choking on my water, laughing at some of the stuff in this movie. Um, It uses title cards as exposition fast forwards. Every time there was a flash of exposition, the audience would burst out laughing because it's the kind of thing that would immediately contradict what just happened or fast forward past something we thought was important. And it was subversive. And, and expository in the funniest way. I've never laughed at a title card louder than, than Theater Camp. And, and um, I think if you like Best in Show, if you like the stuff that Chris Guest and, you know, Fred Willard and those guys used to do, this is such a fun night. And it's 90 minutes. Like, I miss short comedies. Where, where, where did they all go? Every movie's three hours long now. Like, gosh, just keep it <laughs> under 90, one. please. Uh, yeah, a three-hour part one. With, fa- with Fast and Furious and, and, and Dune coming up and... The, the Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones, everything's like three hours long now. Just, just make please. a TV show at that point. 90 minutes. <laughs> just keep it short. Anyway, this is great. I think everyone should go check it out. Uh, at the very least, when it's on digital, give it a rent. Um, it's on yeah, the radar you, now. If you, um, if you know theater kids, if you did any theater at any point in your life, those flamboyant types, I this the movie, you're like, ah, you're going to get so much more out of it if, you're, if you know anybody like that. Uh, yeah. and okay. It's a yeah. lot of fun. Yep, I studied yep. theater in college, so this is definitely going to be a movie for me then. I was I was the the weird kid that existed as a jock and a theater nerd. Um, hey, there you go. I, I would go from basketball <laughs> season to the fall play. I want I want to ruin one joke because it's uh, it's very apropos of that comment. Where these theater kids they round the corner of a cabin and they see one of their friends. Uh, throwing a football and playing catch with somebody else, mm. and he immediately drops the football. It's not what it looks like, and it's just such a funny <laughs> moment where it just it takes that reverse. Like, Dad, Dad, I, I promise, I, I'm not. I did, it's not what it looks like, and it's it's such a great moment where the the tropes of of like homosexuality and like being caught are flipped, and and being an athlete mm-hmm. and being straight are are yeah. the things that are seen as shameful in this group, and it's just right. so funny. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I would also mention The Menu as a great uh, title card comedy. Uh, lots of great laughs to the mm-hmm. title cards in The Menu uh, as well. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and can I really quickly, um, I believe, Andrew, was it you who recommended the Barkley Marathons documentary on this show? Barclay Does that sound Marathon. familiar? Who recommended that to me? 
There's, it's a documentary about these like these super 56-mile race through the Tennessee mountains. Does that sound familiar? Oh, that was me. That Yeah. It, okay. Yeah, you had to rem- remind me it was okay. the Tennessee Mountain Race. Yeah. The Tennessee Mountain Race. Um, you recommended that a few weeks back as a buried treasure. I watched it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, so I want to give you props for that. And, oh, and Aaron, you. you've been you've been singing the praises of the Bear, mm-hmm. uh, the TV show, which my wife and I finally started. We're not through season two yet, but we loved season one. So thank you both for both of those recommendations. Nice, great they things are, in store they're, for they're you. They're in going. Season two. They're, yes, I've heard. I've heard many good things from you included on season. Yeah. Two. Yep, I'm starting season two tonight. Nice. nice. Get on it. Uh, it's gonna be so fun. Uh, well, there you go. There's a buried treasure. That's uh, theater camp, uh, which is uh, strangely enough at the theater. Yeah. And uh, Futurama season eleven will be on Hulu in a week or so. Sound of Freedom also available at your local movie theater. Well, we did it, guys. We did Woo. a podcast. Yeah, we did. Congratulations to everybody for doing your own stunts today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thanks, you, buddy. Big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. Uh, thank you to John Paula for stopping by again today. Uh, check him out all over the internet. Go ahead and give a shout out to where you want people to, to head to. Um, why don't you follow me on threads? You know what? It's the new social media platform. Everyone's it's over there. It's the new there. hip thing. You know, I was, we were getting a little sick of Elon Musk and Twitter. Uh, so we're so going I'm, to Mark Zuckerberg. So I'm going to Mark Zuckerberg. Just a great threads. moral choice. Yeah, that's the this? lesser of two idiots, the two billionaires. Um, I'm at the John Paula over on Threads. It's more of the same for me, but hey, you can you can boost my follower count on the brand new platform, <laughs> Threads, only by Meta. <laughs> There's a new social media out there now. Great. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an offshoot of, yeah. of mm-hmm. Facebook and, uh, and and Instagram. Very it's nice. All, it's all connected. It's all. Uh, it's follow I, John. I, I am in, to be fair, I am enjoying it more than Twitter. It seems less toxic. It seems more community. It, it seems a little more enjoyable and fun and lively. And 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 it's the same old conversation until, until more people show up and make it toxic. So right now, I yeah. really like it. Uh, follow uh, the John Paula on Threads and nowhere else. Uh, all right. Thank you, John, for being here today. Thank you also to our amazing Sif Pop members. Uh, that's at Patreon, patreon.com slash Sif Pop. Lots of uh, ways you can support there at different levels. Lots of fun perks uh, at those different levels. So check that out. And uh, thank you for doing so. Uh, also, lots of ways to connect with the podcast. Feel free to leave a comment, a rating, or a review wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. You can also email us, feedback at siftpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like this show, too, so let them know about it. And that listening is much easier than completing four consecutive escape rooms powered by gravity. Uh, we will be back next week with Oppenheimer and Barbie. What Barbenheimer. a what a one two uh, one two punch! Uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie, and we will see you then. Yeah. Bye. 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 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.